want to read you just a little something funny. Osama bin Laden went to heaven and was greeted by George Washington, who slapped him and yelled, how dare you destroy the nation I helped conceive. Patrick Henry then approached and punched Osama in the nose. After that, James Madison entered and kicked him in the shin. He was followed by an angry Thomas Jefferson who whacked Osama over the head with a cane. The thrashing continued as John Randolph and James Monroe and 66 other early Americans came in and unleashed their anger on the terrorist leader. Suddenly, as Osama lay writhing in unbearable pain, an angel appeared. This is not what you promised me, Osama said to the angel. Come on, Osama, the angel replied. I told you there would be 72 Virginians waiting for you in heaven. If you all didn't get that, you have to ask your neighbor. Well, I wanted to start with a light note because my message is not so light. My message, though, is a message of hope. And it is a message of challenge to you today. What kind of friend are you? And that's the question I'm going to ask you. Why don't you turn with me to Ruth 4.15. We've been reading in our quiet time this week as a church. I don't know if you read along with us, but I want to encourage you. Our Bible reading guide that we pass out every month, um, that as a church, we're reading through the Bible together, Old Testament, New Testament, you will find that most of our messages are birthed out of that, out of our scripture readings that week because that's fresh to us, because God's spoken to us. And I want to encourage you, if you're reading with us, God's speaking to you, and then you'll hear it preached on Wednesday night or Sunday morning or in a small group, a Sunday school class, maybe teaching on it, and it will come even more alive because you've read it and God's already highlighted it to you. But we read about Ruth this last week. And I want to read verse 15 of chapter 4. It says, your daughter-in-law loves you and has done more for you than seven sons. And now she has given you a grandson who will bring new life to you and give you security in your old age. Let me tell you a little story. And this story is about two women. Their names are Ruth and Naomi. Let me tell you a little background. Naomi is an Israelite. She was from the town of Bethlehem. She was married. God blessed her with two sons. And there was a famine that happened in Bethlehem. And Naomi's husband said, let's go to Moab because they have grain in Moab. We can make some money in Moab. Let's leave Bethlehem in first season. Let's go over there and let's see what we can do. So their family travels to Moab. While they're in Moab, they have a good life for a season. But then tragedy strikes and Naomi's husband is killed. He dies. We don't know how he dies. He just died. But she still has her two sons, so she still has hope. Her two sons get married. 
But then time passes. No grandchildren born. But time passes, and one son dies, and then the other son dies. And Naomi is left with nothing. Everything she had, her identity as a wife, as a mother, has been stripped away from her. Her ability to provide for herself has been taken from her, and she is left desolate. Let's look at Ruth 1, verse 20. Naomi said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because Almighty God has made my life bitter. When I left here, I had plenty, but the Lord has brought me back without a thing. Why call me Naomi when the Lord Almighty has condemned me and sent me trouble? That's Naomi's story. There's Ruth. Now, Ruth is a Moabitess. Ruth is from a country that the Israelites despised. They were prejudiced against the Moabites. In fact, God told the Israelites to not have anything to do with the Moabites because they were idol worshipers. They were the scum of the earth in the Israelites' minds. That's where Ruth is from. But somehow Ruth married one of Naomi's sons, but they never had any children. Ruth enjoyed the prosperity of Naomi's family for a season, but again, tragedy strikes, and Ruth is left with nothing. She has no husband. She's barren. She has no children. She has no way to provide for herself. She has no hope of the future. These two women are two women that lost everything. But I'm going to tell you a story about how these two women went from rags to riches because of the faithfulness of a friendship. Because one of them chose to be loyal and to stick by the other one's side. Now, Ruth, we, or Naomi, we already read, became bitter. She just wanted to go home and die. She just wanted to give up on life. And she looked at her two daughter-in-laws and said, leave me alone. Don't follow me. Stay here. I'm just going back home. I don't want your burden. I don't want you to be with me. My life is cursed. Start a new life without me. One daughter-in-law left, but Ruth didn't. Let's look and see what Ruth did in, in verse 16 of chapter 1. When Naomi said, go home, leave me alone. I can't do anything for you. I'm cursed. Everyone else has left me. Look what Ruth says to Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I have a question for you. What kind of friend are you? I don't think I've told you what a good friend you are. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've had a lot of friendships, and they've all been kind of just empty acquaintances and stuff. And, you know, I just feel like we got a real connection. You know, I, I think that, 
you know, if everything went bad in my life, you'd be the one that would help me get back up again. And man, I, just, I appreciate that. I think for the first time, I, I really feel fully alive. Wow. I don't know what to say. You think um, I could have some of those fries? Um, actually, I haven't had anything to eat all day. But, but you know, I really think, I appreciate what you're saying, and I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, it's like you know before I even say anything what I'm thinking. Whatever. I, I hope you choke on those, buddy. So I have that question again for you. What kind of friend are you? Let me read you a couple of scriptures. The first one is in Proverbs 18.24. It says, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. How many have had some friends come and some friends go? How many have had people kind of get away from you when things tend to turn south and get a little sour? But a true friend sticks closer to you than family or than a brother. Listen to this. This is 1 John 3.16. John wrote, This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his love for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love, but what does that last line say? Let's, let's practice real love. Let's look at Ruth's life here. Ruth really had nothing for her in Israel. Ruth was about to leave her mother and her father. She was about to leave her land, her people, everything she was familiar with to follow Naomi to a foreign land where she knew she would be hated, where she thought she would be despised, where she knew they were prejudiced against her. But she chose to practice real love to Naomi and to live it out by not abandoning her. She knew that Naomi had no hope. She knew that Naomi had given up on life. And she knew that if she gave up on Naomi, Naomi was going to go home and die. Have you ever had a friend that you knew that if you didn't believe in them, if you didn't pray for them, if you didn't hold on to them, if you didn't go after them, that they were just going to give up and die? That they were just going to wallow in their addiction or in their misery, that they were going to give up on God and quit, that they were going to turn their back on everything that they knew was real and true. I want to tell you the story of a man that we knew. He was a preacher man. He was a man that was seeing hundreds of people saved. But he was a man that had made a big mistake. Not a mistake. He had sinned big time. He had blown it big time. And he was about to lose his family. He lost his job. 
He lost, he was about to lose everything. My husband had to go and get his gun and put it in a safe so he wouldn't shoot himself. He lost his home. And we took him into our home. For 12 months, he lived with us. And we prayed for him. We prayed for his family. We prayed, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Did he deserve God's forgiveness? Maybe not. But do you? Did he deserve a second chance? Maybe some people wouldn't think so, but do we? He lived with us for 12 months. 12 months. And then God put that family back together. Now this man's not serving God like he needs to be. The shame and the torment of the enemy and just the past junk is still there, but we are still praying for him, and we've not given up on him. And one day, we're going to see him restored. Now, half the story is true. His family's been restored, but his relationship with God. If we had left him, I tell you, he wouldn't be alive today. I had a girlfriend who served God and loved God, lived for God all of her life, well, her adult life had really made sacrifices for God. And one tragedy after another, after another, seemed to assail her to where she started getting bitter and angry and mad at God. I mean, you could hear through the phone lines her venom. I told the church this morning that I preached a message one time. It was called Dragon Breath. And I don't know about you, but, you know, have you ever, been, you've seen the fire-breathing dragons, you know, in the movies and in the storybooks, the fairy tales? Well, some people I know are fire-breathing dragons. And if you get very close to them, they're going to breathe on you, and you're going to get burnt. You get singed. Ooh, you just walk by them, and you can smell it. Their bitterness, their anger, their words that come out of their mouths. Well, this woman for a while was a fire-breathing dragon. And I remember that I got challenged to get on a plane and go see her. And when I got off that plane, she wasn't at the airport to meet me. She didn't really want anything to do with me. And when I did come, when I took that taxi and I got to where she was, she goes, I know why you're here. But you know what I did? I just loved on her for a few days. I prayed for her. I washed her feet. I just sat at her feet and tried to give her hope. Again, for a year, literally, phone calls, long-distance phone calls, praying for you. I believe in you. You're going to get through this. She's angry at her husband, angry at God, just angry, just bitter. But God healed her. God restored her, restored her joy, restored her peace. Some of her friends left her. This isn't the way a woman of God should be acting. How dare you have a fall apart? How dare you? And they left her. 
what kind of friend are you? I had a friend this week just say, I just want to throw in the towel, give up, and quit. I said, you're not going to. You know why? Because I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you. What kind of friend are you? Are you the kind of friend that will love someone even when they're not very lovely? Are you the kind of friend that will chase them down and stick by their side and see them through a dark moment in their life, see them through a crisis, or see them through their own sin? Maybe they are there because of the mistakes they've made, choices they've made. Maybe they're pushing you away and saying, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to, to, I just want you to leave me alone. Let me die. Let me wallow in my sin. Let me just, I'm just having a pity party and I don't want anyone to get me out of it. What kind of friend are you? Do you choose to stick by them? Do you choose to love them through it? Do you choose to sacrifice for them? When you look at Ruth's life, she had a self-sacrificing love. True friendship is self-sacrificing, which means you prefer others. You're good at my expense. It's faithful, which means it never gives up. It never turns back. It believes the best, even though it looks the worst. And true friendship is real love set into practice, lived out in everyday life, tangible, shown by our actions. When you read the story of Ruth in, your, in chapter 2, Ruth said to Naomi, let me go out into the field and let me go glean some wheat and let me bring us home some provisions so that you and I can eat. Let me take care of you, Ruth, Naomi. Let me take care of you, Naomi. You don't have to take care of me. I'm here to take care of you. And that's what Naomi or Ruth did. She went out into the field. And if you look at verse 3 of chapter 2, it says in the middle of that verse, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, Elimelech was her father-in-law. Boaz was a, a kin of Elimelech. Let me tell you a little bit about Bible days. In Bible days, they had what they called a kinsman redeemer. And a kinsman redeemer was someone who, if a husband dies and leaves a wife a widow and she has no children, then that relative, that close relative, was to marry that wife and bear a son, give her, let her bear a son, and, and it would be the son of her dead husband so that she would be able to carry on her dead husband's name. Now, this was a sacrifice. But it just so happens, it said, that she found herself in the field of Boaz. Do you think there's coincidences in God's kingdom? Do you think things just happen by chance? That it's just fate? That it's just, you know, good karma? That it's just, no. God, and when Naomi asked Ruth, let me go out and glean in the fields, Ruth, Naomi, when Ruth asked Naomi, 
Naomi didn't say, oh, I got, a, I got a cousin out there. His name is Boaz. No. Naomi, Ruth just went. And God was the one that led her to the field of Boaz. It was God that let her go to the right field. You know why? Because she could have been abused. In fact, why don't you put that slide? Well, no, that's a, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. She could have been misused or abused in anyone else's field, but she wasn't in Boaz's. Let's look on. So Naomi said, let me take care of you, Ruth. Ruth said to Naomi, let me take care of you. Let me provide for you. And look, first, the first point I had was that true friendship never gives up. Ruth's love for Naomi didn't give up on her when Naomi had lost everything. But my second point is that true friendship will be rewarded. Turn with me to uh, verse 11 of chapter 2. Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field. And Boaz sees this woman out there picking grain up off the ground that was left by his workers. And he says to his workers, who is this woman? What is she doing in my field? One of her wor his workers said, that is Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. And listen to what Boaz says to Ruth. Verse 11. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother in your homeland, and how you came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I've heard about you. There's been t people talking about you, Ruth. I've heard about what you've done. Did you know that because of Ruth's faithfulness, she gained a reputation in Israel? A reputation of someone who was faithful. A reputation of someone who was loyal. A reputation of someone who sacrificed her own good for the benefit of her friend. She gained a reputation. If you read another verse, 311, it says that she was called a woman of noble character of a virtuous woman, a noble woman, a courageous woman. At the end of the book, it says in, in Ruth 4, it says that she was a woman who was better than seven sons. This woman gained a reputation, a good reputation, because of her loyalty and faithfulness. Your friendship will be rewarded. But not only did she gain a good reputation, she reaped where she did not sow. What does that mean? You know, I mean, it's like going into someone else's garden and picking all their produce off their garden, taking it home and eating it. You didn't sow it. You didn't plant it. You didn't grow it. You didn't do anything, but you got to enjoy it. Now, sometimes during berry picking season, my husband will say, if you come pick it, you can eat it because he has such an abundance. Well, Re Ruth reaped something that she didn't sow because of her faithfulness. Look. In, in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. Whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. 
Verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Verse 16, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Now listen, Ruth didn't just glean the leftovers, didn't just reap the leftovers. On purpose, handfuls of grain were thrown on the ground for her. Boaz said, hey guys, don't do your job quite as good as you used to. Don't make sure you pick up every piece of grain. I want you to throw handfuls on the ground. Be sure to leave handfuls behind for Ruth because Ruth has a reputation of being a good woman, of being a faithful friend, of being loyal. And she not only reaped grain, but it said protection. Boaz said to her, man, you watch over her. You protect her. Don't let anyone harm her. She, he gave her food. He gave her bread. He gave her something to drink. And enough that she took it home to her mother-in-law, her leftovers. She took all that grain home. And Naomi said, where did you get all this grain? Whose field have you been, been walking through? My goodness, how you've been blessed today. And Ruth, not knowing anything, just said, I've been in Boaz's field. And Naomi said, Boaz, that's my cousin. That's my husband's cousin. He's our kinsman redeemer. So listen to this. They cooked up a little scheme, Naomi did. He said, okay, tonight they're going to be threshing this wheat, this barley. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to put on a really pretty dress. A really, I want you to take a bath, Ruth. I want you to put on some perfume. I want you to fix your hair really good. And then when it's really dark and when they've finished threshing the wheat and they've laid down to go to sleep, they're probably going to be a little drunk because they've been drinking some wine. They've been celebrating. I want you to go and uncover Boaz's feet and lay down at his feet. Ruth's going, I don't know. This sounds like a crazy scheme, but I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor my mother-in-law. She goes. She gets herself prettied up. She gets herself, her hair done and her new dress on. And I don't know if it was new, but it was clean. It was her nicest one. Puts on that perfume and then goes and lays down at Boaz's feet. Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and says, Who is this at my feet? Who are you? And Ruth says, It's me, Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And she said to Boaz, Will you spread your garment over me? Will you take me as your kin and take my mother-in-law and I in? And will you allow us to be your family? Boaz says, boy, there's not a more virtuous woman than you. I've heard about you. I've seen what you've been doing. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to go take care of it. The story goes on. And Boaz wasn't the closest relative, but he went before the elders and he got that closer relative and he said, will you buy Naomi's land? The guy goes, yeah, I like that land. That's good land. I want it. He goes, but when you do, you get Ruth, the Moabitess, as your wife. And you got to bear a son to her so that she can, that son can inherit her daddy's land. And the guy goes, whoa. That price is too great. 
I don't want the land that much. I don't want the blessing that much. You have her. You can have her. You know, Ruth reaped where she had not sown. But she could have faced prejudice. But instead, she faced favor. She could have gone without. But instead, she had abundance. She could have been abused, but instead she was treated with kindness. She could have been rejected, but instead she was comforted. Why? Because she was a faithful friend. Because she stuck by Naomi when everyone else deserted her. There are blessings that come with faithfulness. Blessings that come when you stick by someone that others have rejected and left. Blessings that come when you believe in someone, when everyone else has given up and quit. There are blessings to faithfulness. Let me mention the last blessing. It was that she had everything restored to her that she had lost and more. Everything that had, had been restored to her. If you read on the story, Boaz goes and marries her. He marries her, and she, the barren woman, conceives and has a son. This woman who had lost her husband, who had no children, had lost her fortune, had left her homeland, now has been welcomed into Israel, into Bethlehem, and she has a family. She has a kind husband. She has a reputation of being a noble, good woman. She has her wealth restored to her, even in abundance, because Boaz seemed to be a pretty rich man. She had a son. She had a sense, a purpose once again. But can I tell you, even more than having everything restored, she gained eternal glory for sacrificial relationship. When you read the end of chapter 4, you will find out that Obed was the grandfather. Obed was her son, was the grandfather of King David. Do you know what that made her? A great-grandmommy of King David. She, the greatest king that ever lived, she was the great-grandmommy of because of her faithfulness. But, wait, wait, even better than that. It says... That she was the great, 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 29 greats, do the math, grandmother of Jesus. Because of her loyalty and her faithfulness, she, from her own womb, was able to help usher in the Messiah of the whole earth. And listen to this in Matthew 1. Guess whose name appears in the genealogy of Jesus? Ruth. One of the only women mentioned. One of the few handful of women mentioned. All those dads, 29, well, more, 30-something dads were mentioned. But only a couple of mamas. And guess who one of them was? Ruth. My last point. Not only will you be rewarded for true friendship, but true friendship can change a life. Naomi's life was changed because of Ruth. 
Because of Ruth, Naomi got hope restored to her. Because of Ruth, Naomi was given a future. Because of Ruth, provision came in Naomi's life. Look at me, chapter 4, verse 14. The woman said to Naomi, praise the Lord. He has given you a grandson today to take care of you. May the boy become famous in Israel. Your daughter-in-law loves you, has done more for you than seven sons, and now she has given you a grandson who will bring new life to you and give you security in your old age. Naomi took the child, held him close, and took care of him. The women of the neighborhood named the boy Obed. They told everyone, a son has been born to Naomi. Guess what? Ruth's blessing became Naomi's blessing. Because of Ruth sticking by Naomi, because of Ruth choosing to love Naomi with a boundless love, with an unending love, with a self-sacrificing love, because of that friendship, Naomi had her joy restored. Naomi got back in the plan and the purpose of God if Ruth was the great, great, great 29th grandmother, great grandmother of Jesus, that meant Naomi was the 30th great grandma of Jesus. You and I can be that kind of friend. You and I can choose to stick by someone when they're not very easy to stick to. When, if anything, it's like a magnet that's repelling you rather than drawing you to them. Someone who doesn't know Jesus. Someone who's had some bad blows in their life and they've turned their back on God. Someone who is just really a down and out sinner. Maybe partying big time and enjoying it and not wanting anything to do with God. But somehow God's put you in their life. You have a choice. What kind of friend are you going to be? Ruth and Naomi went from rags to riches. Are you going to help see that friend of yours, that loved one of yours, that family member of yours? Life turned around. We gave out, and I dropped it, but we gave out a card that none should perish. And this card is supposed to have names written on it of family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, people maybe that check you out in the grocery store or people that have waited on you in a restaurant that you go to or just a neighborhood kid that you know about someone you go to school with you're supposed to write names on this and this is yours to keep and put in your bible but what i want to ask you today is will you write their name on that wall will you write their name down will you pray for them will you go after them let me tell you, Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
He said, this is my command that you love one another. Do you love your friend enough to lay down your life, sacrifice, go after them? It's maybe not convenient. It may not be pleasant. They may have dragon breath and be breathing fire all over you. Do you love them enough to go after them? Jesus said, if you do this, you're my friend. I want to show you a video. And it's called, Will You Be That Someone? I was hurting and someone showed me Jesus' love. My life felt hopeless until someone shared hope. Someone who was a good friend and helped me follow Jesus. Someone who gave up their life to help me. Someone at school. Someone in my neighborhood. Someone who I fish with. Someone I have coffee with. Someone that I can have a good conversation with. Someone I met at my daughter's volleyball practice. Someone at my home. Someone who likes me for me. Someone who doesn't judge. Someone who loves unconditionally. Someone who will teach me to know God. Someone who believes in me. Someone who will show us how to live. Someone who will guide me. Someone who will help me follow Jesus. For me, that someone was my friend Lily, who helped me follow Jesus more closely. That someone, my friend who discipled me, was Kendon. For me, that someone was my friend Chuck. For me, that someone was Antonio. That someone was Bruce. That someone was Lucas. That someone was Amy. That someone was Henry. That someone was Demetrius. That someone was my grandparents. That someone was Terry. That someone was my Sunday school teacher. That someone was my friend Liz. That someone was Bill. That someone was Matt. That someone was Darla. That someone is my dad. Will you help me follow Jesus? Will you help me follow Jesus? Will you help me follow Jesus more closely? Will you? 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 Will you be that someone? Will you be that someone? You know, last year, I was reminded this week, three names that I know of that were on that board, on the wall, that came to know Jesus this year. One, two of them were my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. I wrote their names on that wall. And you know what? My husband had the privilege of praying with them and leading them to the Lord last summer. One of them written on that wall was Joe's, Pastor Joe's sister. And her and her family are in church today, baptized, serving God, loving God, because 
a brother that that cared, that loved, that reached out. Joe was telling me, Pastor Joe was telling me about a story this week. That about a week or two ago, he was in a coffee shop having a discipleship group. They had a purpose and a plan, and they were getting up ready to leave. And Pastor Joe said to the guys, hey, hey, I'll be right there. I've got to go back inside for a moment. And he had spotted a young man that was in there. And this young man had just left home not long before that and had said, Mom, Dad, I'm just giving up on life. I'm quitting. Bye. I don't know if you'll see me again. Pastor Joe went into him, started to share about Jesus to him. And one of the young men that he was discipling said, I want to disciple someone. And Pastor Joe went and got him and, and, and introduced him. And they were able to lead this young man to the Lord. And uh, to come to find out the young man that was wanting to disciple him lived next door to him. He's been added to church now. He's loving God and living for God, and he has hope for his future. Now, he was a stranger. But will you be that kind of friend? Will you be that one that will even look for opportunities? Somebody that needs Jesus. Will you be that one, and will you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you? They're going to sing a song, and as they sing a song, I just want you to take your card, and I want you to write down some names if you've not already done it. Pray and ask God, who is it, Lord, that you want me to reach out to over the next couple of weeks? Who is it you want me to invite to church? Who is it that you want me to share your love? Who is it that you're wanting me to pray for? And then I'm going to ask before you leave today, take time and write their names on the wall, on those posters. There's four posters, the front ones and the back ones. And if you will write their names on the wall tonight, we're going to lay hands and we're going to call those names out. Lay hands on those names. Call their names out and believe for their salvation. Believe that God will bring them back to where they need to be. This week when we're praying in the sanctuary and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be laying hands. I want to encourage you as you come into the sanctuary, go and pray at one of those posters and pray and call out the names of those people. The question is, Will you be the one? Let me tell you, it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth whatever rejection you may have to face. It's worth whatever time, effort, courage you may have to expend. It's worth eternity. Will you be that one? Open the blind eyes. Unlock the deaf Come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation. We are your people, crying out in desperation. Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears. Come to your people. As we draw near, Father, hear us from heaven, touch our generation. We are your people, crying out in desperation. Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near. 
us from heaven touch our generation we are your people crying out in Well, God, we just want to pray for our family members, our friends, Lord, for those that we work with, those, Lord, that live next door to us, those, God, that we run into in the market, in the coffee shop, in the restaurants. God, we pray, Lord, that you would save them, that you would turn their lives around, that you would bring them into your kingdom and give them a hope and a future. And today, God, we are crying out, Lord, I want to be that kind of friend. I want to be a friend that is true, a friend that loves, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a friend that goes after someone who is lost and who's dying, who is hurting, who is broken, who's been cast away. God, I want to be that someone. I want to say that the names written on that wall, that they've been added to the kingdom of God, that they're in church, that they're loving God, that they're serving God. Lord, help us to be that kind of friend. Help us, Lord, to love like you love. Help us to have that kind of love, Lord. Help us, Lord. I just want to take a moment, and if you're here, Maybe somebody's invited you. Maybe somebody's been praying for you. And you think it's just a coincidence that you came this morning. But I want to give you the opportunity. That if you have not received Jesus into your heart, accepted Him as your Savior and Lord, if you don't have a hope and a future in God, today is your day. And today, your life can be turned around. Maybe you're here and you've turned your back on God, walked away because of hurt, because of pain, because of disappointment. Today, you can get right with God. Today can be your day. And the angels will rejoice in heaven over you coming back to know him. If that's you, we'd like to pray with you. I'm going to ask a few of our prayer team members to come down to the front. And if you would like prayer today, and if you would like to get your life right with God, I want to encourage you, don't pass up this opportunity. As you go out, will you be that kind of friend? Will you be the one? Holly, well, as we close, when... Ms. Linnell asked that question. Are you 100% sure if you'd go to heaven, if you want to get things right with God? If that's you, would you hold up your hand so we can pray for you? If you need to get things right with God, we'll just take a moment. Anybody? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Any question at all, come to the altar before. If you still have a prayer need, stop on up. Otherwise, you head to those posters and begin to fill out names anytime tonight, during the week, this morning. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just say what's on that poster together. As we close on a count of three, we'll just say that none should perish. One, two, three. That none should perish. Let's give Jesus a hand clap. God bless you. Go ahead and write those names on the posters. We'll be here tonight at 6 o'clock.